but we're really enjoying this journey through the book of Exodus. And um, last week, Kilton spoke about the presence of the Lord and did well in that. And, and I, two weeks ago, just prior to him speaking last week, I had, I'd started off with you talking about the anchors of our soul. And, and so we, we had this idea, and you can start with that, that, um, those slides, but just the whole I- idea was in, in Exodus 32 where things really went a little bit off target, where things went a little bit wild. Um, the Israelites were upset with, with Moses not being around, and, and they insisted that something is made to represent God, and the golden calf came out as a result, and God was upset with that, and Moses pleading with God, God, please don't destroy the people, and then the next thing happened that God says relented, and, and, but yet there were still the consequences of, of that sin that took place. And so we, we, we looked at that, and we said, in this portion, in this chapter, there, there are four anchors that we want to talk about as a church to help us understand that an anchor, as we can look at this image here, is a beautiful thing for a boat or a ship where it keeps it stationary, doesn't drift off or, or veer off into the big ocean, it keeps it stable and secure. But actually, this also speaks about our lives, that we need to have an anchor in our lives called Christ. God, and, and that Him is the one that keeps us stable, and that helps us not to be drifted, drifting off because of issues, and, and the winds that come, hey, Ooh, and the winds blow, we feel like it'll take us into the deep ocean of despair, and of fear, and, and so Jesus wants to be that, and, and so we said in this chapter, there are four things that we want to talk about as a church, that'll help us, we believe, to to have our anchor solidly in Him and solidly in Christ. And, and so we spoke about the first two, and, and it said, the first one was that God can be trusted more than any human being. Because what happened was, in, in the first verse there, the, the Israelites insisted on somebody coming in to help out because Moses had, had gone up on the mountain, and they're like, ah, ah, Moses, our leader is gone. So now we are absolutely hopeless and helpless. And so the idea was created that because man is not around, we're in trouble. And, and so we, we, we spoke about this fact that God can be trusted more than any person. And it's not saying that any one of you are bad, but God can be trusted more than you and me. Amen? So yeah, sorry to say that to some of you. You always were absolutely confident that people can trust you, and that's wonderful to still believe that, but we will fail. Amen? Um, and this is not the time where the wives say amen to about their husbands. Sorry about that, Adelaide. You should. You, you wanted to say something now? No. <laughs> no, it's, it's the fact is that we can't. We, we will never be able to keep everything intact. And as though, although we promise and we make promises, we, we do fail. And we thank God for His grace. So that was the first thing that we said. This is an anchor in our lives that God for surely can be trusted. The second thing we spoke about is that, that God knows everything. So God's up in the mountain and, and things are happening. The golden calf is being made and, and he speaks to Moses. He says, I know what's happening down there. And Moses is like, ah, oh, well, we're up here, God. How do, you, how do you know? And we know in Scripture that it's verified numerous times that God knows everything. And so even right now, he knows every thought that you have. And that is reassuring and sometimes a little bit frightening too. Like, <gasps> So you know what I just thought or know what I want to do? 
oh my goodness, I've got to just perhaps realign myself with what is right and, and not supposed to be doing those things. God knows everything. It's a beautiful anchor. I, I believe it's, it's not to be a fear, supposed to be a fearful fact. It's supposed to be a beautiful anchor in our lives that I'll say, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. But God's my anchor because he knows. And I can find solace in him and security in him. So these are two beautiful anchors that we spoke about. And, and I trust that you will keep on being reminded of. The third one that we want to look at today, anchor number three. Drum roll. Did it happen? Oh, wow. Way to go. <laughs> Is that God involves us. God, it's beautiful just to listen to the story of how God involves women to care about the unborn, those that are considering abortion, all those things. But God involves us in all sorts of ways. It doesn't have to be an official ministry opportunity. But God has already involved you and because of His grace. And so let's go to Exodus and let's look at that and consider it together. So, um, so God obviously is fully aware of what's going on down at the bottom. They're up on the mountain. And so God speaks to, to Moses. As Moses is sitting there getting all the instructions called the Ten Commandments and all the laws from the Lord, God interrupts him. In verse 7 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. So God interrupts this moment where, where he had called Moses up to receive instructions. But now he says, ah, let's, let's interrupt this whole moment. Because the people are corrupting, corrupting themselves. They've turned aside quickly. And, and you need to, what did he say to him? Go. Just two, just two profound words that God issues and speaks to Moses. And Moses is probably having the time of his life. And God comes and he says, go down. I'm like, yeah, sure. What's happening down there that I have to know? And then he hears these words that corrupted themselves. And imagine if you're having this amazing moment with God, and it's so difficult for us to understand this, because it, it's probably something that, that sometimes we can't relate to, but it was the most amazing moment that Moses had with God. So much so that, that the glory of God was reflected upon his faith, that when he came down one stage, people were like, ah, you look it's like an untouchable. Can't come close to you because of this amazing moment he had with God. God interrupts it and he says, go down, which really means God is aware of what's happened because he just tells him that. They've corrupted themselves. And, and God is actually saying, Moses, I want you to be part of the plan. Surely God wouldn't, interrupt this incredible moment and say, well, actually, this is doomsday. I'm going to wipe them all out. There's no help for them. There's no mercy. But yet he says to Moses, go down. Go down and do what? Go down and be part of the destruction that's coming. Well, sure, then I'm going to stay here, God. Huh? God involves Moses because I believe God had an intention to do something for his people. He's clearly not happy with the Israelites. And, he's, and he uses words like, I'm going to actually let my wrath burn against them. And I may consume them. Just leave me alone. So these are the words that God's using. But at the same time, he says, go down. How does that make sense? This is an interesting 
situation that we find. And sometimes people battle to understand this one because it seems like God was going to go destroy these people. And it seemed like Moses is trying to adjust God's mind because if you read through Scripture, it seems like oh, Moses managed that. It's like, God, just stop it now. Stop it. Uh-uh. Just, just hold back, hold back. Moses is like, I think it's better that you don't destroy them. God's like, yeah, ah. no, not like that. But he's, he's just trying to persuade him. But I don't think that's a real story. We're going to try to dig deeper into this. Clearly God is upset and he shares his thought with Moses. Almost, I believe, to see how Moses would react. And if Moses reacts in the right way, then he could use him to fulfill his will. Moses then starts his conversation with God and and supposedly explains to God the reason why he should not do what he is planning to do. As though God's like, oh, thank you, Moses. I never thought about that. But we need to look carefully. It's not that Moses was persuading God to do something God didn't want to do. Neither was Moses trying to adjust God's mind. I honestly believe it was God accomplishing his sovereign, glorious purposes through the prayers of this man and the cry he had in his heart. So it's an amazing, amazing moment that God shares with him the reality of what's happening down the bottom. And Moses cries out for the people. Some of us would, yeah, you know, wipe them off. I'll just wipe. It would be so much nicer. I could just go into Israel or the Canaan, the promised land by myself. Oh, yeah, that'll be quite a scary thought. But anyway, um, Moses would have probably also been upset. We see that. But he cries out to the Lord. And I think that is what God was looking for. He said, I'm going to do this. Let me see what you will do. And Moses cries out, God, please don't do that. God's like, I'm I'm paraphrasing, I'm adding stuff, but it seems like that was what God was trying to accomplish, is to see Moses responding and saying, my people, your people, God, please don't. God's like, I'm not really going to do it, but I needed you to cry out. I believe if God was going to destroy his people right there on the spot, then he wouldn't have spoken to Moses and sent him down. He could have just done it. Why bother? It's like that's it, time out. Had enough. They've been murmuring. They, then they want to go back to Egypt. And then they're up and down. And then they worship me. And then they don't. And now they're going made a calf. But God says, go down. Why? Because he longs to show mercy to his people. He longs to extend grace towards us. And so go down is a profound statement that God makes. I believe in, instead of, of, of causing this, this wrath to be poured out on them, he sends Moses and he compels Moses to pray for his people. Because again, this is not something that we can do naturally. We care so much about the people that we cry out for them. I believe this was God having stirred Moses' heart for his people. He compels him, which is the essence of what God wants to do in your life and in my life every day. Compelled to reach out to the unborn. Compelled to reach out to those that are around us that are far from God. Compelled to lay down our lives and say, I'll go down. I'll be amongst the people. Because God has given me a heart for them. You know what? Many of you, and I don't think none of us, or I'd rather say it this way. All of us here today are here because somebody had come down to us. Come on. 
Somebody had reached out to us. God had used someone. And I know God can do it supernaturally. And, and we see the beautiful stories these days of, 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 of Muslim people, Islamic followers, hearing, a, a, seeing a vision of Jesus and being compelled because Jesus comes down to them in a vision and speaks to them. And they repent of their sin and they turn to God. So many stories of that going around. But then at the same time, the model that we find in Scripture is that God sends people. And He says, go down. Because I have a heart for my people. And then as we respond with this compelling love that God gives us, we pray, we reach out to Him and say, Father, please, please your people that are far from you. And I believe God puts us in situations not to become frustrated and annoyed with, with what the environment that we're in, but to actually see God's solutions within them. And so we cannot run away. That's why we can never run away from the reality of God wanting to use our lives. You can go wherever you want in the, in the world and you'll find better economies and, and better environments. And uh, I don't think better people necessarily because the people of this nation is amazing. But you know, our solace is not in the, the grass that's greener on the other side. Our hope is in, in being in the perfect will of God. And he puts us in situations that are often quite frustrating, but he does put us there because he sent us to go down. Not that we're up and other people are down and we're above them or we're more superior than them. No, it's just he puts us in situations not to become overwhelmed and frustrated with them, but to cry out to God and say, Father, I'm here. I've, I've lived in Zimbabwe. I've grown up in this nation. I've moved here, whatever it may be, because you want me here. And now I cry out to you for your purposes and not just to save me, but you've made me come down here, Lord. And literally, Zimbabwe is the last zit on the, alpha, on the lot left on the alphabet, eh? So easy. I love it filling in forms online. Just straight down. Sometimes I've got to fill in, I'm from Zimbabwe and I'm a citizen, or I'm a, yeah, I'm a citizen of South Africa. Then I've got to go up to S, eh? South, this, and South, oh, there's South Africa. So much more of an effort. Zimbabwe, right down to the bottom. Football can fill it in. So much easier. So, so what we find is that Moses was made aware of the state of the people, because God had a desire to do something about it. And he wanted Moses to cry out to him for that intervention. So guess what? When you become frustrated with your situation, could it not be because God is making you aware of the situation that you could do something about it? And not run away from it. Shall I say that again? <laughs> and not run away from it. Because wherever you go, you're going to find another situation that will frustrate you. Come on. Now my friends in South Africa, how do you do the solar thing? We have no idea how to do that. Because we have so many you know, load-setting moments. We don't have a clue how to do it. I'm like, buddy, I've moved up here 30 years ago, 13 years ago. I know how to do it. <laughs> I can teach you guys. And so like, oh, you thought you were running away. from? No, I never ran away from South Africa. Maybe people run away elsewhere and they get frustrated with things that they find in that nation. And so when we do, reach out to God and say, God, what is it that you want me to do whilst I'm in this? And not get, become frustrated and annoyed with it, but say, God, how should I pray? That's the correct thing, perhaps, hey? How should I pray, Lord? We find Moses doing that. And so look at these things that Moses prays about God. I love it. There's just four things that I want to mention to you. The first thing that he says, the prayer of Moses in verses 11 to 13. And please, you've got to go read through all of this. 
it's so deep and so helpful because God had now shown Moses what's happening down there. Moses is not down there yet. He hasn't seen it. And in that moment, that's a beautiful thing as well. Moses has not gone down, but he's already starting to pray. Come on. The first thing that he prays is this. It says in verse 11, oh Lord. Which really for me says, God, I know you. Just a reassurance. So the place from which he prays is not, oh, 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 which is really Greek for I don't have a clue what's happening. No, it's just, God, oh, Lord. And oh, Lord really means that you are Lord. You're in control. I, I, I bow before you. I know you. I know who you are. And we're going to be okay. And so my, my, my plea to all of us is, where do I start my prayers of? Is it, do you not know? Have you not seen? <laughs> Have you not considered what the people are saying and doing? Moses says, oh Lord. The next thing that he says is the following. He says, your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. And he says, I know your character. I know this is what you've done. They belong to you. It's not my people, by the way. It's like the little tussle here between God and him. Because God said, it's your people. Most God, Moses like, ah, it's your people. <laughs> really, let's just make it clear, yeah? It's your people, God. <laughs> and he's saying, God, I know your character. I know what you're capable of doing. I know that you have a heart. Because this is what you did. You brought us out of Egypt. We were slaves, Lord. That's your character displayed. And so I'm praying from the premise of knowing your character, Lord God. Not just declaring to you the situation. Because guess what? God knows everything. We've established that already. It's not like we have to. God, I just want to let you know and remind you just of the following. Because like, I know everything, my son. Why don't you just come and declare who I am, instead of what you're facing. <laughs> That's why it's so beautiful for us to be able to get to know more about God, because our prayers then become more about God and more or less about ourselves. This is a praise moment. Lord, I know your character. This is what you've done. The next thing that he talks about and his prayer to God is he says, God, I know your ability, because he says you, you brought them out with great power and with a mighty hand. He says, I know what you're capable of doing. I know your power. I know your ability. I'm confident in you. I know this is not really what you want to do to destroy. I know who you are. You've brought us out. You've saved us. You've delivered us. Therefore, I know, no matter what, you're capable of doing the impossible. And then lastly, he, he says this about God. God, I know your plans and promises because, and you'll read that portion in verses 12 and, and um, 13 rather, where he talks about, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you saw by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and of all this land that I've promised. I will give to your offspring and they, will, they shall inherit it forever. So he's like, God, I know what you've promised. I know what your plans are and I'm confident in that. I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed by the situation. It's not great, but I know you. I know your character. I know your ability. And I know your plans and your promises. 
That's what we need to do when we are amongst people and we're amongst situations that aren't so great, which we constantly find ourselves in. And we've got to say, God, I know you. I know your character. I know your ability. And I know your promises. I'm going to stand on that and not let the stuff around me. That's an anchor. Come on. So God says, hey, listen, I can keep you stable when you know me. When we come and talk about the stuff that we so easily come to hear about and the things that are being thrown around through WhatsApp and those things and social media, they have the potential to sway us off from here. Because now we, did you know and have you heard? And we talk about that often, I know. But I don't want to, I don't want to make a joke about it because actually what it does, it's destroying these truths in our hearts. And we've got to fight for these things. Come on. You've got to pray from this premise. Not, <gasps> but God, I know you. When I deal with a situation in my life and in your lives, when, when there are people around us that are finding it difficult, people are far from God, when your spouse, when your relative, whoever it is, far from God, this is where you start. Lord, I know you. I know your character. I know that you love them. I know that you care about it. I know that nothing is too difficult for you. I know your power and your ability. I know your plan. Your plan is that all may know you. And I know that many will not want to, but I know that this is your plan. So I can pray this. Oh my goodness, that is great reassurance. That settles our hearts. And so I want to encourage you. God wants to involve us in his plans to provide a way out for those. And it says here, who are busy corrupting themselves. So when we see the corruption, <laughs> great word to use in this context, hey? But I'm not just talking about the corruption that we are familiar with. I'm talking about sin, allowing sin to corrupt your spirit and your soul. And people are doing that. And so we see signs of that all over. And you and I often are involved in it. And may God forgive us. May we notice when we bring corruption into our lives through sin. May we respond. May we not be like the Israelites who turned quickly aside. That when they were in a moment of supposed bother according to them, they turned away from trusting the Lord. And so may our hearts be so secure, the anchor of our souls, Christ, that we will not be allowed, or that we will not allow corruption around us, general corruption, to take us off from the path that God wants us to walk. So God says, this beautiful anchor, I want to involve you. I want to involve you. And you and I are called to be involved in the corruption around us. We're not called to just disassociate ourselves from people and walk away and say, oh, it's ugly. It's horrible. Oh, that evil. Just let me just stay away from it. I'm not saying indulge in that. So don't, don't walk away. Because God says, go Go down. Go down. In 2 Corinthians 5, it's this beautiful, I want to read it just to you, where it just confirms this wonderful truth, what God has called us to. Why don't you just read it with me in your Bibles? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, we know this well, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so we're like, yeah, that's great. 
Let's, let's stop right there. Beautiful, beautiful verse. Great one to put up on the fridge. All things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. But it doesn't stop there, praise the Lord. Amen? There is another verse to follow. So let's go to it. It says in verse 18, And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's also a wonderful thing. Amen to that, eh? Yeah, we've been reconciled to Christ. Still the verse is not ending. It carries on. It says, We've now been reconciled to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, who reconciling, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and even us, because we're part of the world we were, and entrusting to us. This is us. This is the wonderful privilege that we have to be involved in his plan. He is entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this is the wonderful anchor that you and I have as we consider just those two words, go down. It says go down and be an ambassador. Go down and, and implore people to be reconciled to God. This is our privilege. And you don't have to go do that on a street corner. You go do it by just being amongst the people as you go down. And I say that with much respect, particularly that it doesn't sound like we are high and lifted up and we are going down into the world where they can so be so glad that we're amongst them. No, it is, it is doing what God wants us to do. He involves us. And so as we look at Exodus 32, I want to ask the question, how then do we go down? How then do we practically go down and be amongst the people who have, according to 32 here, corrupted themselves? How do we do that? Do we go around with a t-shirt that says, I'm saved, what about you? Or whatever it may be. But there's something that I believe we need to grab again. And this is, the, this is the core of every local church. Is that we do not just exist for ourselves and for just worshiping Jesus and coming together and having great moments like this. We have an incredible privilege to be part of God's plan. He is involved. That should be an anchor for your soul. Not should, not should be something that we are afraid of. <gasps> I'm dead scared of being used by God. No, it should be God has chosen me to be involved in His plan. And what a privilege that is. That anchors me. He wants me. He's called me. The first thing I want to say to you is that how do we go down and reach out? We acknowledge the biblical mandate for this. You've got to understand that there's a clear command. It's not optional again. It's not... I don't want to go down. I'm, I'm loving it up here. I don't want to go into the world. And, and we often say this. When you leave on a Sunday, you're actually going into your mission field. You're a missionary. You're a missionary. You go out into your home, your work environment, into your school. You go out and you go and be an influence and affect the lives of the people there. It's not optional, ladies and gentlemen. It's go down. Come on. Go down. And yeah, there's corruption out there. People have turned aside quickly from God, away from Him. But go down. God commands us, Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. Then I believe we repent of being indifferent in this way. Because we have become indifferent. 
They often talk about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, has in the church of Jesus Christ become the great omission. The sea is gone. And we just said, well, it's for the guys that are full-time. It's for those that are missionaries that feel they want to give up themselves to go and serve and wherever it may be. It's people that have the time for it. Hey, I'm busy. <laughs> you know, don't you know that I'm a teacher? Well, that's your field of ministry. That's where God has released you to be a missionary. Whatever field it is, even if it is at home and not just at home, because that's derogatory towards housewives. Oh, even if it's just at home. No. No. Probably one of the most effective places to be a missionary is at home. And we celebrate other places. We're like, we put it up there. Look at what the guys are doing in Korea and Japan. And we're like, wow, let's just, oh, there's a housewife. She's praying for her kids, crying out for her husband who's far from God. She's serving in spite of his bad attitude. We never bring them up and say, why don't you just testify how God's using you? We celebrate the others more than those incredibly valuable individuals who does the work of God so faithfully at home. I want to honor you there this morning that are doing that. That nobody ever stops to recognize what you're doing and have done it. Many of you have done incredible work by being a faithful mother and a wonderful father. By being there for your children. That is your first place of ministry. And if you're single and you, you've never had children and, and you're not married, or what, you've got a role to play wherever it may be. You should be celebrated as being faithful to God in whatever place you are and being faithful in that. And even if you're young and at school still, that's your learning ground. You can be faithful there so that where God takes you further, you can carry on doing what you already are doing. It doesn't happen one day when you get married or you get qualified that you now enter into your sphere of influence and now you can start fulfilling your role. No, it's already God is wanting to involve you today already, young and old. And you never also hand the badge back and say, okay, now I've done. I'm 75 and I've done my years. It's until Jesus comes and he fetches us that we've now done. And he would hopefully say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We need to repent of we being indifferent. In any, if there's a hardness in our hearts, we need to repent of it. The second thing or third thing, we need to recognize our people because Moses was sent down to his people. You've got to recognize who your people are at this time. When we lived in South Africa, those were our people at that time in the particular city that we're in, in that neighborhood, in that community. They became our people. But I've moved into a different environment where this has become my people. And God calls us to, into an environment where those people become your people. You need to recognize that. Who, who are those people that God is putting you? It can't be everybody of, Zim, of, of Zimbabwe, never mind you know, the world, it's going to be your community and your work environment and your school. Those are your people, your home, your address. That's your people. Nobody else can do what you need to do. And God's involving you in His people, but He's saying that's your people for now. And in years to come, it may change. But recognize who your people are 
and cry out to God for them. Then the fourth thing we say is we've got to ask God's, for God's heart towards the people who we are amongst and who have corrupted themselves. We need God's heart. We cannot be effective in the place and the people that we are put amongst without God's heart for them. And there are people in this city and in your neighborhood and in your family that don't know this, but they need you to have God's heart towards them. And you could be the only one positioned close enough to them to bring about and bring, to carry forth God's heart towards them. So please, don't, don't walk away from this. This is not a preach about, she we're going to walk out here and feel so good about ourselves. It's, hey God, I'm going to go feel good about you calling me into your plan and help me to respond. The last thing I want to say is that we, we then, as we are positioned, recognize the call of God, the biblical mandate, who the people are receiving his love on a constant basis. We need to cry out to God for them. We need to cry out to God for them and say, God, we, we really need you to do a wonderful work in their lives. Won't you please do that? The last slide um, just says that. We cry out to God for them. And I believe prayer is an absolute key element in God accomplishing his plans. Because prayer is one of the God-ordained means by which he accomplishes his plans. And there are people that we need to cry out to. I have people that cry out to God for me. I'm so thankful. I don't know often who they are. But I'm so thankful. And, and, and even more so, we need to cry out to God for the people that are far from him. I don't know about you, but we need to, we need to have a list of people. Constantly, even on your heart, not just on a phone or, or on a piece of paper, are people that are far from God that you are connected to, that you can regularly cry out to God for. I implore you, I challenge you, I ask of you, let's do that. God has positioned you amongst your people to cry out to Him for, for their lives. We see it multiple times throughout the scripture, Abraham praying. God, please don't destroy Sodom. He's crying out. Even if they're five righteous, Lord, won't you still protect and save them? We see that Moses doing it. We see Daniel praying. We see David praying. We see so many examples of praying, people praying. And that's God's plan. He's saying, I want to do this. Why don't you just pray? I need you to pray. And God can do it without us. But he's chosen to involve us. It starts at this beautiful thing called prayer. And our prayer as a church is that we want to be involved in what God has purposed for the city. We want to be involved in That's why we exist. But we also want to be available as individuals in how he may want to use us in going down to be amongst people. And you know what? We don't have an excuse. None of us have an excuse. And if you ever thought you had an excuse... I'm going to show you a video. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of a man called David Ring. David Ring is probably 60-odd now, still alive. He's born with cerebral palsy. He was dead for 18 minutes. No oxygen to his brain. 
And then obviously born with this incredible um, issue. And then how he lived, he lost his dad at the age of 11, his mom who really cared for him at the age of 14, and how God just supernaturally changed his life. He still carries the signs and the evidence of it. I'm going to show you a video. You're going to find it difficult to listen to him and understand him. But I want to show it to you because I want to help you understand how God can work. So please, this is one of his talks. So many people, they have a handicap. No, I don't. I have a platform to tell my story, which is I am very so many people, they have a disability. I don't have a disability either. I have a platform to tell my story, which is I am blessed. They have a problem in life. I don't have a problem. I have an opportunity to tell my story, which is so many people think I have a burden to live with. I don't have a burden. I have a blessing. Amen. Now look at me. <coughs> Cerebral palsy is not a punishment. Cerebral palsy is a blessing. May I prove it? May I? I'm the only man alive that been the full children and never changed one diaper. <laughs> <coughs> I believe <coughs> I, I remember when my wife was having a baby, she, she would give me one every now and then and say, he'll go change the double. I said, no, me, I, I have sweet parts. <laughs> and she was dumb enough to believe it. My wife knew if I changed the double, it'd be all over the world. <laughs> now, don't you wish you have sweet? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. By the way, I told you something wrong. Everybody has the same story. Which is, but we have different journeys in life. My, my life journey began in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Born there for 80 minutes. The oxygen couldn't get to my brain. And that's why I was a different baby, but I was a blue baby, I was a dead baby. And because my mom, were dying on the delivery table.
table, delivering me, they put my dead body on a table against the wall, and I lay on that table for 18 minutes dead. Think about that. Can you imagine being dead for 18 minutes? They, they tell me you... So, um, it's just a phenomenal story of, of a man, and sorry for cutting it there, but you can go and Google this, David Ring, and you'll pick up multiple videos and stories of his life. He's got a website also where he just relates his story. And he actually says these words when I was preparing and I, and I got to this place and, and I, I just recall these words. What, what is my excuse to not be involved in going down? I was reminded of watching this video years ago. And he said, I've, I've got cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? And he says it in those words, in that manner that, that he is battling to speak. And he says, so, so what's your excuse? So what's your excuse? God can use me in this state that I am in. And it's a phenomenal story. Four children. People told him he'll never be able to speak. He graduated. He's married a a woman, and they have four children. I think they're grandchildren now already. He's spoken over seven and a half thousand churches in the states. Um, just reflecting his story, challenging people, and I want to just tap into that and ask you and me: Do you recognize this beautiful anchor that God has involved you in His plan? And none of us are bad enough or good enough to deserve to be used but he still does. And he's chosen you and me not to necessarily go and speak on a platform like he's given to David. Your platform, your people, is where you are. You've got to just be faithful and respond to him in obedience. And I pray that God will help us with that. As a church, collectively, but as individually, definitely. So let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful anchor that you've given to us to be involved in your plan. You share with us, Lord God, the detail of this world and the state that they're in, not to make us feel like we're any better, but you do so because you want to involve us. You want to let us engage this world and our people because you have a heart for them. And help us, Lord, that when we cry out to you, we won't cry out because of the misery. We will cry out because of your character and your ability and who you are and your plans. And so consider ourselves privileged enough to be part of your plan. What a beautiful anchor it is. Jesus, I pray this morning that for any person here today that have always felt that they're not good enough, they don't have the ability, they don't have the wisdom, the, the way to talk, to convince others, the right words, enough word recollection and memory. I pray, Father, that none of us will hide behind those excuses anymore, but that we will step into the realm where we say, God, I will go down. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to say, but I want to be available. I want to say, here I am. Use me. 
not because we find ourselves self-righteous or self-dependent, but absolutely dependent upon you. I pray, Father, that your people, you will use us in such a wonderful way that we will be able to say what a privilege it is to be involved in what God is busy doing in this nation, in this city, in this community, wherever we may find ourselves. I trust for that, Father. Pray your grace upon all of us to be faithful, to be found faithful in this so that you will be glorified and you will be honored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.